you're probably, I'm not saying you are, just saying you're probably becoming curious. What, uh, what's presupposed by the word becoming? The word. Well, the, the, and that it's a process, that you're partway through a process of evolving curiosity. Sure. Um, what ha pacing and leading is great for guiding people's consciousness and attention in a certain direction. What happens when you imagine? You've already heard me using that today. I like to get people to imagine stuff. A means B, A causes B. You know, the fact that you're here today will cause you to develop whole new capabilities and skills that'll be of value and importance to you in the days, weeks, and months to come. Really? Just the fact that you're here? Well, no, logically that doesn't actually add up, but it sounds so plausible, doesn't it? The unconscious goes for plausible. Um, I'm wondering, I'm curious to know, so these are the softeners, rather than just coming straight out and asking something, softening it. And uh, tag questions, isn't it? Can't you? You can think of ways where you can use that, can't you? It's tough to disagree with a tag question, isn't it? It's kind of weird, it kind of, it's it, it like, it's almost like even if you wanted to disagree, if you were, you know, predisposed to disagreeing with something that a person was going to say, if they tag it, it's a bit tougher to, because what are you disagreeing with? That makes sense, does it not? It's kind of, if you say no, what are, what are you saying no to? So I like tag questions. And the cool thing about tag questions, and all of these to some extent, is that you can already do them. Can't you? See, you, you do them in your mind. You may not be saying them out loud, but you already have this ability. Yeah. Or don't you? Or haven't you? So that's good to know, isn't it? Um, people can. A person can. A person can imagine various ways that they can use what they're learning today. Sure. My friend John Stiles suggestions. So my friend John said, learn hypnotic language. He didn't actually, it was Milton, but. Um, what happens when you do that now? So you'll often hear people say like, uh, well, I guess that I would just get a feeling of, of confidence and just the sense that I could do anything. And I'll say, what happens when you do that now? And they go, I feel like I could do anything. I say, Good. If I hear them run through the process, then I'll just invite them to do it. Um, I'm not going to say, it can be useful to negate things because it's tougher to disagree with. Now, I'm not going to say you guys should learn negation because really that's up to you. Uh, and I'm not going to say study language patterns and practice using them because it's really, it's your decision about how you, you know, focus your attention and that sort of thing. It's a way of, and the cool thing is if people are kind of likely to, to be opposition responding and say, if he says to do something, then I'm not going to do it, or vice versa. If you say, I'm not going to tell you to, they kind of go, well, don't you tell me what you're not going to tell me to do. I'm going to make my own decisions about that, which is great, if you're suggesting that they move in a certain direction. Um, you may already have started to notice. So you may already have started to notice a building sense of curiosity. Now, that's got a bunch of presuppositions in it. Whether you've started to notice it or not, it's presupposed that it's there. It's just a matter of whether you've started to notice it or not. And having started noticing it, what do you have to do in order to process that? You may already have started to notice a building sense of curiosity. 
What do you have to do? You have to go inside and check whether you've started to notice it or not. And what do you have to do specifically to notice whether you've started to notice a building sense of curiosity? You have to imagine what a building sense of curiosity would be like. Do you not? Yeah. So uh, in the days and weeks ahead, and tomorrow we're going to be exploring future pacing explicitly, in the days and weeks ahead, you'll start to find many, many ways in which the learnings and understandings of this program continue to emerge in the various aspects and areas of your life. For instance, um, isn't it nice to know that you already can speak fluently? So it's just a matter of tinkering with some of these things to add a whole new, a whole new uh, degree of fluency and flexibility with language. And you've heard me doing this already, talking about your conscious mind this, but your unconscious that. Well, what that does is it starts to set up a, a, what you might call a separate communication channel. So when I'm talking in this tone of voice and with gestures up here, I can be talking to your conscious mind. When I drop to this tone of voice, then I'm gesturing to your unconscious. See, your conscious mind is aware of one level of what I'm saying, and your unconscious is aware of it on an entirely different level. Your conscious mind likes processing, likes content, pays attention to the content and the meanings of the word. But your unconscious pays attention to process and structure. Your conscious mind can track between five and nine things, they reckon. But your unconscious can track everything, can track everything that's going on. Your conscious mind didn't hear me say the word pelf earlier today but your unconscious most certainly did and made a, an executive decision about whether it would offer it to your, to your conscious mind or not. Now, of course, your unconscious can be a useful embedded suggestion from time to time. Because what do you think the effect of saying you're unconscious to someone 20 or 30 times is? Spaced out. They get a bit spaced out. And... I don't even need to gesture now to, to send. If I'm, if I'm saying something and then I want to send a particular suggestion, like what are some suggestions I might want to give to a group of people who want to really learn new skills? What might I want to suggest to them? Or, you know, so ideas? That it's easy. That it's easy. So I'm not going to say to you it's easy to learn this stuff because, you know, everyone's going to find their own way to discover how you can master it. So what did I do? I dropped my voice down and said, it's easy to learn this stuff. So your unconscious knows that that's the voice tone I use for the unconscious mind. So that's a message to your unconscious. Does that make sense? And it's nice, because when you start playing with it, you can really take it to the limit and find a variety of ways to do it. Not just with your hand gestures, but with eyebrows, you know, marking out particular parts of sentences and that sort of thing. That's not going to be a major focus but you'll, for this program, but you'll hear and see me doing it as we go through. And one of the things you'll begin to notice as you become more and more aware of these subtle distinctions in language is that other people are doing it all the time, even if they haven't been trained in this stuff. So it can be a useful source of information. And the last one on that list, will you X or Y or Z? You know, I don't know if you're going to uh, take these skills and integrate them right away, or 
whether you're going to let them integrate as you sleep and dream tonight, or whether you're going to pass the job of integration over to your unconscious and allow yourself to experience with a sense of surprise and delight the various markers that let you know that you've already integrated at a deep, deep level in a variety of ways over the days, weeks, and months to come. How could I know which of those you're going to do? Sure. So it's giving a variety of choices, all of which presuppose the same result, which is of integration and putting it into practice. Okay? And then on the last page is just assorted tidbits that I, that I like. Uh, how would you know if that wasn't true? If someone has a belief asking, how would you know if that wasn't true, what does that get them to do? Well, it, they have to see it as being true in order to understand what the opposite or what the negation of that would be. But then they need to imagine a universe or a world or a them that for whom it isn't true. And once they've imagined that, they can start to move more in that direction. Um, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's kind of a classic uh, coaching question. Or what would you do if you knew it was okay to fail? Just out of interest, I was uh, on the radio the other day and uh, I was talking about goals and beliefs and that sort of thing. And the radio presenter said, well, what if you don't actually know what you want? I said, well, my belief is kind of everyone knows, but sometimes they cover it over because they're maybe scared of what it would mean about them if they achieved it or they're scared of failure or whatever it might be. Uh, she said, oh, uh, she said, can you give me an example? And I said, well, in your case, for instance, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And she goes, oh, I'd start my, uh, my um, uh, holistic health business and start doing Indian head massage and da-da-da. He had this big li detailed list of stuff after having told me she didn't know what she wanted to do. And, and I said, well, that's interesting. So it sounds like you're really passionate about that. She said, oh, I'd love to do it. I said, well, what stops you? She goes, I'm doing all these courses. So she was doing, basically, every time she got to the end of one of her courses, she signed up for more courses, and she was telling herself that she couldn't actually start doing it until she'd done more courses. And so that's how she stopped herself. Is literally, because people, my assumption is people will always answer the question. They won't, by the way. But if you assume that they will, then assume that the first thing out of their mouth, like Rich, when he went, I said, uh, how will you know you've got that? He went, first thing he did, when I asked her what stops you, I do all these courses. That was what stopped her. It was a way of creatively avoiding what she wanted to do. So she's coming around to give me an Indian head massage next week. <laughs> or the week after, I can't quite remember. So yeah, um, what would you do if you knew it was okay to fail? Because failure is only feedback and failure is only possible, uh, there's no failure, only feedback and failure is only possible if you set yourself a time limit. Um, one I like is, how have you been perceiving this as a problem until now? Because that presupposes a number of things. First of all, that it's a perception. And the how is that there's a way of doing it. That it's a, it's a skill, it's a process, and it's a perception, the idea that something's a problem. Also, how have you been perceiving this as a problem? Sort of acknowledges, it paces that it's been going on in the past, and then the until now opens up a door of possibility that says, whatever it is that you've been perceiving as a problem until now can change now that you're here. 
which is nice to know, isn't it? Bridget. I just wanted to say that the, that the phrase perceiving this problem presupposes it's, that's not necessarily the truth. It's your perception. Sure, it's just a perception. It's just a perception. Um, that, that question was either I learned directly from Chris Hall or was inspired by Chris Hall. Um, what else could this mean? Because as human beings, we're meaning makers. We love to make meanings of things. And what would it mean if you were not unhappy about that? So often people will have, people uh, think that the only response to something is to be unhappy about it. Yes, so what would it mean if you were not unhappy about that? Wow, or what, you know, oh, I'm really angry about this. What would it mean if you were not angry about this? Well, it would mean I'm not a man, or whatever. People make up all kinds of meanings. Um, what must be true of them for them to believe that? This is a very powerful question because whenever you're working with someone, you can assume that their world is the way they think it is. And as you may have found, any attempt to try and convince the other person that their grip on reality is not the way, that that's not the way it is, just gets them to dig in more deeply, to defend their position. The world is the way they think it is. Their world is the way they think it is. And so a useful question to be asking yourself is, what must be true of them for them to be saying that, doing that, believing that, experiencing that? What must be true of their world, their perceptions, for them to be believing things in that way or experiencing things in that way? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, uh, why is it like that? This will get them to give you a story. Whatever someone says, if you say, why is it like that, they'll tell you a story. They'll tell you their story of how they make their world make sense in relation to whatever it is that they're talking about. And finally, and this incredibly useful question, if you had to teach me how to do that, how would you do it? What would you get me to do? What would you get me to pay attention to first? Because this NLP idea that all behaviors are in fact skills, they've all been learned, they're abilities, and they're all useful in some context too. Does that make sense? <sighs> Good. Oh, just as, a, as an aside, I was going through the dictionary.com. Have you guys come across dictionary.com? Very good. Gives you all sorts of dictionary, if you like words and stuff. And I was looking up the word technique in the online etymology dictionary, and it said uh, 1817 from the French word technique, which is formal practical details in artistic expression, which I kind of liked, because it didn't match my pre-existing idea of what a technique was. Formal practical details in artistic expression. And uh, then Wiktionary says a technique is a way of accomplishing a task that is not immediately obvious, which I kind of like too, because it presupposes, not the top one presupposes it's an art, but it's a practical approach to an art form. This one presupposes that there's a task to be accomplished and that it may not be immediately obvious how you're doing that, which is interesting. But it gets even more interesting. Dictionary.com says, the manner and ability with which an artist, writer, dancer, athlete, or the like employs the technical skills of a particular art or field of endeavor. Hmm. Um, but then it says, the body of specialized procedures and methods used in any specific field, especially in the area of applied science. It talks about application and methods and procedures, sure. Um, 
Number four, technical skill, ability to apply procedures or method so as to affect a desired result. It's about the desired result. Um, and then number five, which I liked and didn't expect, um, informal, method of projecting personal charm, appeal, etc. He has the greatest technique with customers, for instance. That's interesting. Um, technique as a noun, skillfulness in the command of fundamentals deriving from practice and familiarity. Practice greatly improves proficiency. And I really wanted to kind of acknowledge that today. You guys are here. I'm here. I've been practicing this thing for a while. Still, you guys will notice at least some things that I don't notice. All of us can notice more than any one of us can. And for some of you, this is your first introduction to this stuff. It'll take some practice to achieve the level of proficiency and skill that I've got and that maybe some of the other people in the room have. But that's okay. We all started where we started. And we all started from being introduced to this stuff at one point. Practice is real important. Um, the systematic procedure by which a complex or scientific task is accomplished. And I like the idea of it being systematic because human beings are systematic. You know, we're patterned, we, we do things in structured ways, believe it or not. Even when it seems kind of wild and kind of out there, there's still a structure. So, Jimmy, can I just share a quick story? Please. Pick it off. That, um, one of the, I, I really like playing about with, with the meta model and, and the language because that's kind of the, the biggest technique that I use, if you want to call it a technique. And I, I was running a training course on Thursday and Friday with a particular client, and it's interesting what you said about people being kind of pattern and systematic. The people in this client that turn up for this particular course systematically will start off the course by saying, um, I thought I was a good leader, um, why have I been sent on this course? It must mean that I'm a crap leader. <laughs> and, I, and I know that they always do this, and I thought, I don't want, I want a different outcome at the beginning of the course this time. And I kind of I use the, um, I'm not going to say, and my friend John said, to get a completely different outcome. And what I said to them was, you know, I'm not going to say that, you, that you're going to learn lots about leadership over these two days, but I can remember when I was a team leader, I'd been a team leader for three years, and my boss sent me on a course. Um, and I said to him, um, why are you sending me on this course? Because I've been a leader for a, good, for a long time. Does it mean I'm a crap leader? And my boss said to me, just go, just go ahead and enjoy it and open your mind and relax and have fun and you'll learn lots and lots and lots. And they're all going, cool. <laughs> and totally different outcome. I thought, I've, I've nailed it this time around. It's a great start. Fantastic. Now that's an example of what's called frame setting. Because if you, if you tell a story or do something at the beginning of, of a session or a training course or anything that sets a frame for the program, it, it allows people to understand the context that they're going into, that'll have a powerful effect. And for me, it's, it's, it's because I wanted a positive outcome for them, not manipulative, because I thought if they do open their minds, they'll get something really good out of it. And they open their minds and they got something really good out of it. Now, let me ask, because I would absolutely agree, who would say that what Tony did was to the best interests of the people in the group, by a show of hands, or his best guesses to their best interests? Who would say that that was manipulative, by a show of hands? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. He was yeah. using his language and his communication intentionally to get a specific outcome in terms of the mindset of the group. He was manipulating his own words and gestures and so on in order to 
get a certain response, get a certain result. If someone was to say that was manipulative, I would probably have to agree with them. However, you cannot not influence. Everything you do, everything you say, every gesture you, you make, you always influence people with the things you're doing and the things you're saying. So you may as well be intentional about it, setting some kind of intent. Tony set an intent which was for people to have a really good experience, to be, you know, to let go of their fears and, you know, uh, put their concerns to one side and open their minds. And what was the sentence you said to them again about what your boss said to you? Uh, my boss said to me, you can just go, go ahead and enjoy it and relax and enjoy the experience. You can just go ahead and enjoy it and relax and enjoy the experience. Cool. I'll tell people that, that story because the cool thing is when I tell them about Tony who came on the course and said what he'd said to the boss, <laughs> by the time that we've tracked that many levels into the stories, by the time I get to that bit when I say, and, and his boss turned to him and said, you can just relax, open your mind and have a great time here today because it, it, all it means is that you're open to the possibility that there's even more fun to have and more learning to do. They'll be entranced so they won't even notice that I've, that I've just done it, which I think is cool and fun. So um, it's interesting. When I, when I first uh, told my mom that I was doing this stuff, she said, well, you know, what is it and what can you do with it? And I said, well, there's a variety of things. It's about body language. It's about voice tone. It's about, you know, there's a phobia cure. She goes, a phobia cure? I go, yeah, you can take someone who's got a, a phobia and, you know, take them through certain processes and, that, and that'll change. She goes, oh, I don't believe you can cure a phobia. She goes, you know, I used to have a phobia. <laughs> she said, ever since I was a little girl, probably eight years old, she said, I was afraid of waves. She said, because I was at the beach one day and I got caught by a wave and I got tumbled over and over and over in the sand. And she said, ever since that day, I was terrified of waves. And she said, it, it went through my whole life. And she said, and one day I was walking along this place where I used to live. She was walking along the road, but there was beach by the road and there were these big waves crashing against the shore. And she said, and I looked out through my binoculars and I suddenly saw them differently. And I've been fine since then. And it was interesting because she was she had an idea about what was possible and what wasn't possible, but she'd actually had the experience herself. She spontaneously cured her own phobia one day, walking along the beach, just by looking at the waves through the binoculars. It changed her visual perspective of the waves. And when Bandler and Grinder, uh, basically, they took out an ad in the paper and said, wanted people who have already gotten over their phobias. People came in and they all told a similar story. They said, I went along for a time, and, but one day I thought it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I looked at myself and I laughed. I looked at myself and I laughed. So what's presupposed by I looked at myself, you know, in my mind's eye? You're removed from the situation. You went outside yourself, yourself yeah. yeah, well, they, they disassociated in some way. See, one of the characteristics of phobias is that there are powerful kinesthetics of one sort or another. And what the person, what part of the process of curing a phobia is that disassociative process and getting someone to feel something different in that context. And uh, the fast phobia cure was invented based on that, based modeling people that had done it. And so in the first book, Frogs into Princes, the techniques in there, and people have actually cured their phobias just by reading about that technique. 
just by reading about it. Then they did some stuff to kind of amp it up and add some more about what they knew about NLP and neurology. So the, the phobia cure technique that I'll be demonstrating today is that amped up version that's been amped up by me in various ways as well. So we're gonna be doing that in a minute. But the, the phobia cure is interesting because basically, what do you think the purpose of a phobia might be? Because here's the thing, people, whenever people talk about phobias, they'll often start by saying, I've got this irrational fear. And remember, it always makes sense in their world. So it's not irrational, but it may have seemed irrational to them until now. What might be the purpose of a phobia? Protect. Yeah. Protection and safety, sure. Because, you know, phobias are, they're a natural, they're a natural um, function. That, you know, if you're, if you're running through the forest and a huge bear or tiger or something jumps out from behind a rock and you go running away because you think quite rightly perhaps that it's going to eat you, the next time you're in that kind of situation, your neurophysiology doesn't want to wait for you to figure it out. It's a way of giving instant, you know, people who have phobias, they don't kind of go, uh, you know, I won't do it today. I'm feeling a bit tired. I won't, you know. <laughs> the elevator phobic doesn't go, oh, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm just going to take the elevator anyway. I'm going to... It's a, it, and they don't go, oh, you know, I forgot to do it today. I meant to, but I had a lot on my mind I forgot. It's pretty patterned, it's a pretty reliable response. It's often an example of single trial learning. So it's something someone's had an experience once, and then they can do it from then on. It's a skill, which is interesting. And so sometimes people will say, well, I don't believe you can change something like that quickly. To which the answer is, well, you learned it quickly, why can't you change it quickly? So that's what we're gonna do. And so I'd like Stephanie to join me up at the front, if you would. So welcome. So um, you've got uh, something that you might describe as a fear or a phobia. Would you um, tell, me, tell me what that is, just in a few words? I don't like big buildings because I'm afraid they're going to collapse. And I don't like seeing buildings built into the side of a hill because I think there's going to be a landslide and they're going to come down. And I don't like driving along, along roads where the roads kind of cut into the side of the hill because that might slip down the hill as well. Okay, so I'm not scared of heights, I'm scared of the building collapsing. And I guess there's a zillion things you're not scared of, so that's cool. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah, that's right. You okay if I touch yeah. you on the shoulder from time to time? Because if, like I said, I didn't use the thing anchoring worked for me. What I found is that anchoring is really good when people are in spontaneous natural states. So rather than do that, now think of a time when you were really confident, which we may do some of, by the way. That's absolutely fine. But I'd much rather, if something flies by, I'll grab it. Because Stephanie strikes, straight out of the gates, Stephanie strikes me as someone who's really good at laughing and feeling good. Oh, yeah. That, that seems like something that's really, yeah, that I wouldn't even need to, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Remember what they said, I just looked at myself and laughed. And so for, for me, laughter and fun, particularly with phobias, is a really, really important, important part of the process. We want to start anchoring those kind of states right from the beginning, if at all possible. So, so I guess one of the things I'm curious about, well, let me ask you guys something. As soon as I asked uh, Stephanie to describe it, what did you notice her do? Yep, hands went up, what else? I thought she went like, 
You saw some leaning forward. Tony saw her lean back. Um, the cameras will have recorded Stephanie doing something else. So there are many different <laughs> models of reality. I saw Stephanie look up when she said, uh, I don't like big buildings. And she looked up. I don't like, that's an interesting term. Is it, does this count as a big building that we're in now? When I drove here, I was just saying to Costas, I kept my eye level down because I really wanted to come on this course. And I knew that I would have a real problem in the building if I knew how many floors there were. So I came in. So I don't know whether this is a big building or not. Ah, I wouldn't, I good wouldn't thinking. So baseball caps at the ready. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and this may sound like a stupid question, but how is this a problem for you? Um, it stops me doing a lot of things. I'm very strict with my daughter. I won't let her have very. I won't let her have friends upstairs because I think the weight in the top of the house is going to. The, the bedroom floor will go through the ceiling. Uh -huh. We can't arrange the furniture upstairs because there's no supporting wall underneath where her wardrobe really should go for the layout of the room mm. because it will just go through the ceiling. She can't jump on her bed. Um, so it stops us doing a lot of things. Okay, I can understand that. And this is, again, this will sound like a weird question, but how do you do it? shaking. You just oh, see okay. everything collapsing. Right, I okay. see whenever I go into a room or our favorite cafe is upstairs at a bookshop and I think about the weight of the wood on the bookshelves and we all know how heavy books are don't we? Loads and loads of books. And the <laughs> <laughs> so let me just check something. <laughs> do, do we all know how heavy books are? <laughs> let me just check. Have you, been, <laughs> have you been have you been secretly weighing books? <laughs> So, um, so uh, I mean, part of this looks like Stephanie's real good at making visual images, really, uh, really skilled at hallucinating in a certain way. And what I mean by hallucinating is just making images, you could say a distortion, so ma making a picture of what something could be. Yeah. So, and I got to ask this question, have you ever just considered not doing that? Frequently, but ah, I can't okay. make it stop. Ah, okay. I now, haven't been able to yet. Now, here's something interesting. I can't make it stop. What's it? So it's presupposed that it's something that's been out, that's in some way outside of Stephanie. It's got, it's not under her control. And that's, that's how it seemed until now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so how do you know when to do that? Normally because there's a ceiling above me and whatever's up there is going to be probably very heavy and could crash down. Okay. Whether I'm in the building or whether I'm looking at a building and thinking, how is that all supported? Okay, so it starts by seeing the ceiling above you or by looking at a building? That's, that external image is what triggers it? And what, ha what happens on the inside? I just get really shaky. My hands start to tingle okay. and it just starts here and it just goes all the way down the center. Okay. And radiates out. And it goes all the way down. And I've got all the spinning Enough. going on. Let's stop. <laughs> Stand up. Shake that out. I wanted to anchor Stephanie's response, but I didn't want to go fully into it because there's no need to. So sit mm -hmm. back up. So, okay. Well, the thing that I'm curious about, so we're, we're, we've been seeing visualization. Now, when, when you say, when I think about the weight of all the stuff that's up there. How do you think about it? Like if I had to think about it like 
if you could have a day off from this problem, but you had to give me a really good job description, mm -hmm. you had to teach me how to do it, yeah. what would you get me to do? How would I do it? I would get you to go to the cafe, I would get you to walk in and put some supporting walls up. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> now, see, you've, you've answered a different question than the one right. I asked. How, if I had to have your problem for a day, because mm -hmm. I can't do this yet, but I'm, I want you to teach me mm -hmm. how to do it. So what's, let's say, uh, you know, I'm walking down the street. Do I go, oh, it's 11 o'clock, there's a building. In five minutes, I'm going to get all freaked out. Or, or do I say, I know there's a building around this corner. As soon as I see it, I'm going to go, Bleh! What's, what do I do? You just go in. Oh, do I get, uh, don't I do anything before I go in? No, because you don't look up, so you can't see the building. So oh, okay. Now, that's a really important thing, so I don't look up. <laughs> no, because okay. then it's all the time and you can't control uh, it. Oh, okay. So, uh, let, me, let me ask you, how would you like to respond in this situation? In these situations? I'd like to not even have to consider it. Not even consider it. No, so just go into buildings and do stuff like normal people. And so, not even consider it. What are some feelings like that would be useful kind of feelings to have in relation to this kind of stuff? Useful feelings to have. Yeah. Just a feeling of nothingness, just total ambivalence, really, towards something like that. I'm not sure. Well, I understand ambivalence towards something, but a feeling of total nothingness, I don't know what that feels like. And I'm not sure if I want to elicit a feeling of total nothingness. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just want to, I don't particularly care whether I feel relaxed when I go into a building because I like living from a state of excitement. Mm. Um, I just don't want to have the panic, which isn't a positive response, so I know it's a sure. negative, but I don't want to have the sensation of the nausea and the panic and the anxiety and all of this because the buildings haven't collapsed yet and they're quite old. So. Yeah, but still, you never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm curious. You say you like to live from a state of excitement. What's that like? What do you, what's it feel like? Like, what do you notice it's on the amazing. inside? It's just a tingle all the way through. Oh, where does it start? I've got a really good anchor right there. <laughs> okay. What happens? Like, what happens if you take that feeling? Yeah. Yeah, and then double it. What does that feel like? I can't do that in public, Jamie. Oh, well, yeah, I know. I know, obviously, you can't do that in public. But if you did, how would that feel? Yeah. So, okay. And what would it... Now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to follow an intuition. If you had... And this may not be relevant, so just try it on for size. Yeah. If, you, if you were to have a sense of relaxed excitement, what would that be like? Boring. Oh, well, we don't want that, then. Stay with excitement. Mm. Mm. So is there anything else? Because we've got some excitement, we've got some laughter, we've got some fun. Is there anything else you'd like to add in there as a kind of, just as a, a way that it's fun to be in response to situations which you may have found challenging in the past? I'd like to be able to laugh at them. Ah. Even if I'm laughing at myself. Just... Well, what's it like when you're laughing at yourself? Like just something that really, you know, sometimes you can laugh in yourself in a really good way that's mm -hmm. kind of like... Yeah. I was, I was uh, uh, training with Michael Neal the other day, and he said, uh, what was it he said? He said, the humility train has left to, yet to leave the station. Because all, I was explaining that all, it doesn't matter how good I get at this stuff or at anything else, I find examples in my own life where I've been, you know, being, having a duh moment. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was relating one of these uh, to, uh, to him and the rest of the group that I was part of. 
And, and he said, yeah, for me too. The humility train has left, yet to leave the station, though it shakes and rattles a bit sometimes. Is there one of those where it's kind of like, just makes you laugh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephanie is amazing phrase is quite... Um... Stephanie is amazing <laughs> phrase? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to imagine, in fact, let's pull over another chair. Let me just go and get one for you. In a moment, I'd like you to imagine that you're going to take a seat in a cinema. And that you're going to sit down in that cinema and make yourself comfortable and close your eyes. And, but before you do, what was the, this building thing, what was the first time you remember having it? Um, I was just a little girl, about seven, eight years old. Okay. Is there anything that, if you didn't have this, anything you'd lose as a result of not having it? Money. <laughs> ah, okay, well money's important. Uh, it's a shopping center that triggered it initially. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's a nice shopping center. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. So, uh, could that be a problem? No. Okay, well, let me check. Is there anything else you might lose as a result? If you, see, here's the thing. When, if you've had this for some time, you know, mm -hmm. since you were seven or eight years old, one thing I know for sure about Stephanie is she's used to it. You know, she's organized aspects of her life around it. Now, she's still living her life, but she's got to make sure not to look above that floor of the building and that sort of thing. So, if nothing else, it's familiar. And it's been familiar until now, you know, and you've, you're very capable and able. You've found ways to deal with it and to manage that situation and that sort of thing. If this response, this what we call a fear response, if it suddenly wasn't there, what would be there instead? I mean, aside from a feeling of fun and laughter and excitement. Well, I might let Fiona bounce on the bed occasionally. Ah, okay. How would that be? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Oh, okay, good. She's four years old. She yeah. Bounce on the bed. Sure. Without me screaming at her. So, if we were, if you were to make this change, is there anything that anything about the current situation that you might want to keep? No. no? Okay. And is there anything else you might lose as a result of getting what you want in this? Apart from the fact that if I relax tomorrow, I might actually go through the floor, but that's what we're going to get rid of. So. Yeah, sure. I mean, assuming that you can still, because here's the thing, very practical thing is sometimes people, you know, someone might be phobic of spiders, get rid of a spider phobia, but there's some spiders it's worth being, you know, cautious of and not, not playing with and that sort of thing. I was... Uh, out for dinner with a sales director once and his, his girlfriend had come along and she, we were talking about phobias and stuff and uh, she said, well, could you cure my phobia of killer whales? I said, well, I expect so, but how is this a problem for you? She, she said, I'm a killer whale trainer. And I'm like, well, you should have picked the wrong fucking job. Uh, it turned out that she'd learned to train killer whales in France, in the USA, and they did it there by getting in the pool with the killer whales and swimming around with them and that sort of thing. She moved to France, and in France they do it differently. The trainers stay out of the pool. And she said, well, I want to do it the American way, got in with the fish. Well, they're not fish, they're mammals, but got in with them. One of them grabbed her by the ponytail and dragged her round and round the pool like a fishing lure. 
And she, she's like, and I was really, really scared. She said, but the next day, I got back in the tank. And she said, and one of them jumped out of the water and tried to breach her and almost killed her. And she said, and now I'm really afraid of killer whales. And, and I'd really like to get over it. I, I was like, no, you're being a dumbass. <laughs> Those killer whales are trying to get you. So it's, and the thing is, what I don't want is for Stephanie to lose her ability to make distinctions about, you know, if she was walking around some dodgy old building site with, you know, rotted out floors and that sort of thing, there's some, there's some buildings that it's not safe to be in. There's some, and it's useful to be able to distinguish between the two. It's really useful. And so I want to ensure that Stephanie continues to have her ability to respond usefully in those situations as well. So is that fair enough? Yes. Okay. So whenever you're ready, what I'd like you to do is sit down in this chair. And at the moment that you sit down, I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine you're in. What, what is it that happened when you were seven or eight? I just saw. I just saw the building and the glass and the outside of the building was mainly windows mm. and a few panels of like fiberboard stuff mm -hmm. and there wasn't any wall to hold it up. Mm -hmm. So I just thought it would collapse. You put two and, and two together. Thought, yeah, and I just thought I can't go in there with my mum again because when mm. I go in all the floors shake, mm. people are walking on them. Sure. And that's the thing. So that, that's the first time you remember that. So that's the experience we're going we're gonna to play around with. Yeah. So whenever you're ready, I'll, or you can take that, yeah. And just take a seat. And I'll squeeze you on the shoulder from time to time. You may want to use your excitement anchor at the same time. <laughs> because it's nice to know that you have control over this, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So here's what I'd like you to do. Just close your eyes. Mm -hmm and imagine that you're in a cinema, only to the best of your ability, and uh, that there's, oh, come back out for a second. Is there a cinema you enjoy going to? Or do cinemas fall into this category of buildings that could squish you? <laughs> um, there is one that I used to like going on, but I stopped going because it was a big building. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, how about this then? Because I, as I, as I invited Stephanie to sit in a cinema, I thought, Jamie, you're a dumbass because, <laughs> because cinemas are typically big buildings. <laughs> so what about, do you have a DVD player at home? Yeah. Do you like watching DVDs? Yeah, but it's the ceiling at home that's going to collapse. Ah, okay. So what's a place that it would be really comfortable and enjoyable for you to watch a DVD safe in the knowledge that everything's okay? I've got a room. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or you could do it outdoors if you like. Mm -hmm. No, I've got a room. Okay. And is that a good place to be? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. Whenever you're ready, just close your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I'd like you to imagine that over there on the screen is a still image, black and white, of little Stephanie before she saw that building. Like maybe 10 seconds before, back when everything's okay. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And I know that that little Stephanie that she had an experience, and then there was a time after that experience had finished when everything was okay too, right? So okay, so we're seeing little Stephanie up there on the screen, black and white, before everything's okay, and before, before everything went a bit wonky. And can you feel the DVD controller in your hand? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. So you've got control. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to float 
out of your body and to sit somewhere behind yourself so that you can see Stephanie sitting there. Yeah, that's right. Looking at little Stephanie over there on the screen in black and white. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And then what I'm going to invite you to do is to fast forward that DVD of little Stephanie all the way to the point where everything was okay at the other end. So you can see her having the response. Not yet. Not yet. Wait till I've told you. So you'll see her having whatever response she had. If she screamed and yelled, you can see her doing that. If she froze up, you can see her doing that. But you'll be sitting back here watching Stephanie, watching little Stephanie up on the screen. And don't pause the movie until she's safely at the other end. So I want you to run it forward fast. And it'll be like one of those old little black and white films. You know, like the old Charlie Chaplin movies? You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So I'm going to say now, in just a moment, and I want you to run it really fast to the end of the movie And uh, when, at the moment that I say that. And keep going until you get to the end, okay? Do that now. That's right. All the way to the end. And let me know. That's right. Okay. So now's the fun, fun bit. What I'm going to invite you to do in just a moment is to actually float into the screen and actually, because can you see little Stephanie up there on the screen when everything's okay at the other end? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to get you to float into the screen and then run the whole thing backwards in full color. So you'll be experiencing everything that little you've felt all that time, but backwards. You'll be saying whatever you said backwards. You'll see people walking backwards, hear people talking backwards. And I'm going to play some funny music with my mouth. Um, now, I find, the, yeah, I find the Benny Hill theme rather funny, so I'm going to try that one out. But if that would be deeply offensive to you in any way, then you can tell me. Okay, so you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I say now, I want you to float into the screen and go backwards all the way through it. Ready? Steady? Uh, really fast, though. Like, we're going to take only a couple of seconds to go all the way backwards to the very beginning when everything's safe at the other end. Right? Mm -hmm. Got it? Ready? Steady? Now. Now what happened? Oh. What was your experience of that? Uh, surprise. Okay. What, what did you do is the first thing. <laughs> okay. Well, this is mostly, at this point, this is mostly a game of follow directions. But that's okay, because sometimes people will have a massive recoding, which may have been what happened. We'll see. We'll see soon enough. So what's your experience right now? The room doesn't feel like it's swaying anymore. That's good. Well, I, uh, let me just check. Is the room swaying, guys? <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, let's. Uh, would you be okay running through this a few more times, yeah. just for fun? Yeah. Just for shits and giggles, as they say. <laughs> In your world. Oh, just for fun. <laughs> we'll just do it for fun then. Yep. So okay. So close your eyes. Mm -hmm. Float back out so you can see Stephanie sitting in the chair, watching little Stephanie up on the screen before before any of this happened. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so can you see yourself watching Stephanie? Mm -hmm. Okay. So whenever you're ready, well, whenever I'm ready, actually, I'm going to say now. And then I want you to run through it all in black and white again, all the way to the other end when everything's okay, starting right now. All the way to the other end. That's right. Okay, brilliant. 
Now what I want you to do is float into the screen again and see and hear and feel all of it, but in reverse. See what you saw in reverse. See people walking backwards, everything going backwards in full color, really, really fast, starting now. All the way to the beginning. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so now what I want you to do is float back out so you can see Stephanie watching little Stephanie up on the screen. And now we're going to run it forwards again really fast, super fast this time, mm -hmm. black and white, jerky old movements like an old-fashioned movie, really fast, starting right now. That's it, right. All. Then, then float into the screen, full color, seeing everything going backwards when I say now, really, really fast, all the way to the beginning. You may even want to double that sense of excitement and laughter, and that's, that's right. Starting now. That's right, then stop, then float out all the way to the back. So you can see Stephanie watching little Stephanie on the screen, then we're going to run it forward again. All the way to the end. That's right. And then float into the screen and run the whole thing backwards really fast, starting now. What do you notice as you sit here now? Is it? Well, don't worry, I won't tell anyone. So what happens when you try to imagine things in the same way that you were earlier? Um, okay, the building, the main building's okay. The cafe's kind of okay, but I'm still not happy about the way in Fiona's bedroom. Okay, and let me check. But looking at the build, looking at buildings is okay. Okay. Yeah, looking at the buildings is okay. It's being in them. Okay. So let me ask you this, because the first experience was one of looking at a building, right? What's the earliest you remember having that kind of experience being in a building? Oh. Yeah, that one. When my mum told me, <laughs> she said, can you move your bookcase? because there's no supporting wall in the kitchen and I had a really old-fashioned bookcase full of textbooks yeah. the wrong way around in my bedroom. Oh. And what did she say? Why did you have to move it? Go through the ceiling. Oh, okay. I'm sure it's not relevant. But <laughs> <laughs> Were there any fish in the book? No. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so when's the, when was the first time, I guess it was, was it at that moment that you had it or was it a little bit after that? It's a bit after. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to run the same process, but using that experience, that first experience, okay? Now, do you want me to guide it from the outside this time or do you want to run the whole thing for I yourself? I guide it. Okay, <laughs> so here's what you do. Close your eyes again. Mm -hmm. Pop that younger step, how old was she? 15, 16. Okay, so see her on the screen just before her mum told her the stuff. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then what you're going to do when I say now is you're going to run it all the way to the end until after everything was okay again. So after she'd had the kind of bit of a freak out about stuff coming through the ceiling. Okay? Mm -hmm. But before you do that, I want you to float up out of yourself, eyes closed, up out of yourself so you can see S Stephanie sitting here watching 
Stephanie on the screen. Okay? You ready? And so I want you to make it like an old Charlie Chaplin movie, an old Three Stooges movie, running really fast all the way to the end when I say, actually, let me just check something. Before we do that, come back out. I want to check this anchor because what I'd really like to get is the sort of thing we were getting towards the end of the last one where Stephanie's really laughing and having a good time during it. So I know there are some things, and it wouldn't even be right to mention them here. Yeah, those things. So, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's oh, the, <laughs> okay, so very quickly, go inside. That's right, close your eyes and see that younger Stephanie up on the screen and then float up out of your body as soon as you're ready to watch this Stephanie, watching that younger Stephanie on the screen before anything happened. And then when I say now, you're going to run it really fast all the way to the end in black and white, taking about five seconds, starting now. Okay, and then float into the screen, and you're going to run it in, in full color, seeing what you saw, hearing what you heard, but backwards, all of it backwards, people talking backwards, walking backwards, everything backwards, all the way to the beginning when everything's okay again. Starting now. Okay, then float back out so you can see Stephanie watching younger Stephanie on the screen when everything's okay, before it started. And then you're going to run it forward, black and white, really fast, super fast this time, starting now. Go fast, all the way to the other end, when everything's okay again. That's right, yeah. And then float into the screen, and we're going to run the whole thing backwards. Run it backwards whenever you're ready, starting now. Okay? Then float back out, run it really fast to the other end when I say now, really, really fast, black and white, starting now. Yeah, that's it. Yep, then float into it, full color backwards, twice as fast this time, going really, really fast all the way to the beginning, starting now. Yeah, that's it, right. <laughs> then float out all the way to the back, watching it going forward, ready, steady, black and white, all the way to the end, that's right, then float into the screen, then run it backwards really fast, twice as fast again, see what, all of it backwards, that's right, then float out of it, then run it forward, all the way to the end, then float into it, backwards, full that's it, okay. Now I'm curious, Stephanie. What happens when you try and experience that now in exactly the same way that you used to? <laughs> no, sorry, can you be more, more eloquent? <laughs> That's right. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. Just take a moment and allow all these different ideas of yourself to integrate in whatever way that makes sense to you. See, you've been learning on a variety of levels and in a variety of ways. So just let those ideas integrate now. How does that seem? Calm. Calm. Okay. I just want to check something. Because I anchored Stephanie's phobic response there earlier, or her fear response, whatever you would want to call it. But I'm not noticing any response to it at all. I just checked it before I did that, actually. I just, you may have seen me reach down and just give it a quick squeeze, and there was no response just before I invited her to integrate the stuff. So 
what are some of the things that you can already see yourself doing differently? Oh, lunch in the cafe without me telling Fiona we have to go if there's more than five people in there because mm. they're heavy. Um, mm. Where do you live? Gloucester. Heavy people in Gloucester? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, what else? I'm going to go into Debenhams and I'm going to buy some new dresses. Uh huh. What else? Well, I might not let her jump on a bed, but, you know. Well, it depends. There's some things, you know, that are safe to do, and there's some things that aren't. But here's the thing. Maybe you want to start doing something like that on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. Just to check and notice what effect it has. You don't have to do everything all at once. See, it's a learning process, and it's a process of exploring and finding out how you already respond differently to these things, isn't it? I'm thinking about it, and I've got kind of ambivalence. Ambivalence? Yeah. Is just, ambivalence? Just nothing. Yeah. Well, that means. before, when, I was, when you saw me, didn't you? When I, was thinking about I did see you. We all saw you. <laughs> <laughs> but now I think about it, and it's just. Well, let me ask you something. And this is an important question, I think, because if you can go from having something that actually limited what was possible for you, and, you know, influenced what you know the kind of your movements and what you could do and that sort of thing and if you can go this quickly to being ambivalent about that what are all the other things that you had perceived as limiting you until now that you can move forward with in your life you got some ideas about that and you don't have to share them I'm with the group <laughs> but what I would invite you to do is continue to allow yourself to explore and look to the future and the variety of ways that you can continue enhancing and enjoying and exploring those things and many, many more besides in a variety of ways that are enjoyable and fun for you I with a sense of excitement. Oh, I have that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there anything else with regard to this? Are you comfortable to... Well, let me ask you... I'm well, go outside. Yeah, I was going to say, how will you know that this has really worked? I'll look up at the building and see if I come back this afternoon. Great. Well, we'll either hear back from you this afternoon <laughs> or sooner. Yeah. Sure. Thank you very much. Give Stephanie a big round of applause. So this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to get into pairs, and I just want you to run through this process. It doesn't have to be a full-blown phobia. You can do it with anything that you've been perceiving as something maybe you're afraid of or could do with some more courage around or whatever it might be. Just run through this process. Uh, some of the key things are, obviously, if, if someone's got a phobia of cinemas, <laughs> then put them in a different place. Um, if, uh, I think it's really important to build up positive laughter feelings and strong sensations, strong quote-unquote positive sensations. Because the thing with phobias particularly is that there are powerful kinesthetics involved. Uh, the funny music, I know it's a bit weird to be sitting making funny mouth music at someone, but it really, really works. I mean, Stephanie, what was the effect of having me do that weird music? And focus. I could focus on what you were guiding me to do without feeling self-conscious because you were the one making a fool of yourself. Great. <laughs> with due respect, of course. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm fine with that. But this is the thing. I'll sometimes say that to people, but then they'll feel a little bit self-conscious about making it. 
The music's really important. The laughter's really important. This, a lot of people have the idea that, I don't know, change is serious and serious business. And you need, it seems that laughter is a key aspect, because if you think about it, comedy, the whole process of comedy and jokes, is about reframing. It's about having one expectation and then that expectation being changed to something else. And so laughter and humor is a powerful, powerful resource. I strongly recommend you use it. As well as anything else you can think of. I didn't think I'd have to whisper much in Stephanie's ear to get her laughing a lot. So, so I'll, I'll do that. Anything you can use that's going to be valuable. Uh, so you're going to get them to identify that thing which they've been perceiving as you know, frightening, whatever it might be. Get them to sit in a cinema or in front of a DVD player. And then to see a picture of from the, I like to choose the earliest experience they had of having it. This is after you've built up the positive uh, anchor, by the way. I'll typically, at the beginning, do a little bit of elicitation. So, how do you know when to start? You know, how, how do you manage to do this? That kind of stuff. Just to get a sense of how they're doing it. Uh, then I'll get them to go into the cinema. I'll also anchor the phobic response so that I can test it later. I'll get them to sit down in the cinema, see that the earliest experience, see that younger you up on the screen in black and white from, and this is really important, from before anything happened. So it's back when everything was okay before the first time they had that experience. Then I get them to float up out of themselves to either the back of the cinema, the projection booth, or to a seat behind themselves, whatever it is that you're using as the environment for this, so that they can see themselves watching that earlier self on the screen. This is called double dissociation. So we're disassociating them twice. Then you get them to run the movie through really fast, like an old jerky black and white film. Why use an old jerky black and white film? It's a feel so a thing of the past, and it's also it's not um, full associated as a full color thing. Sure. A, it's not as, it doesn't have all the, the color markers, but it's also, they're old-fashioned. We all know that an old jerky black and white film is something that's real old. Like it's, you know, it's, no, it's, it's relevance to our current day-to-day -day life is probably limited. And then get them to run all the way through that. Then, now I'll squeeze the anchor while they're doing that all the way to the other end when everything was okay afterwards. So you want to take whatever the fear was and sandwich it between two, two experiences of everything being okay. Does that make sense? So you go from everything being okay to everything being okay. So what does that presuppose to them? That everything's going to be okay. Whichever way they're running through it, everything's going to be okay. Okay? Then you get them to float into it and go backwards all the way through it with the funny music and squeezing the anchor so that, so that they're laughing really fast as well. See, most people haven't had the experience of this stuff going backwards. And so that's a powerful experience for them. Then you float them up out of it, run them through it forwards again, black and white, fast, back through it. Now, I tend to get faster and faster every time in both directions because it just makes it kind of more jumbled up and that sort of thing. Then once you've finished it, test the anchor, get them to reintegrate, and then future pace it in some way. Ask them how they'll test it. Ask them what they can do now as a result of having made these changes. And I'll often ask things like, what happens when you try to, experience, to do this in exactly the same way that you used to? Now, what's presupposed by try? They might fail. That they might fail. In fact, try presupposes, often presupposes that they will fail. What happens when you try to do this in exactly the same way that you used to? 
Well, exactly the same way. You, uh, try to do anything in exactly the same way you did it yesterday. There's always going to be differences. Okay? Then the other thing I like to do is guide them to say, okay, having accomplished this, having made this change, what are the other changes that now become possible for you as a result of what you've learned about your own ability to make changes? And this is about making it generative going forward into the future. Does that make sense? Okay, so any questions before you get into pairs and have an enjoyable experience of practicing this with each other? <laughs> so that's a yes. Yeah, go, uh, Mandy, go ahead. Uh, when I've done this in the past, we've blanked the screen out, or blacked it out, or whited it out. Uh -huh. Have you replaced that with the anchoring, the, the good thing at the beginning and the end? Yeah, I don't do any, any blanking out. By all means, experiment with that. But what I'd like you to do is do it this way first. See what results you get, and then feel free to tune it. You know, this is this is the way I do it, which is based on uh, the the way that it's done in. Gosh, I can't even remember Use, uh, using your brain for a change, maybe. Um, uh, but I've added some of my own bits, like the speeding it up, like the the yeah, because you the speed the, the the black and white bit up as well, don't you? Yeah, make it into a little jerky yeah. film and that sort of thing. These are things which work for me. Uh, I invite you to try them out for yourselves and then make your own refinements and additions and changes and that sort of thing. Because also with all this stuff, it's about making it your own. Once you've got the steps of the technique involved. Oh, but let me give you a hint. Sometimes people ask, how do you keep track of where they are in the process? How do you think I keep track of, of where they are in the process? By the movements, you watching them. Once she was running through the, mo the movie, you could see that she was starting her head was moving to the right and she was running all the way to the left. You could actually see where she was in the movie sure. by tracking her head, the movement of her head. I'm certainly paying attention to them and the steps they're doing, but the other thing I'm doing is I'm hallucinating all the things I'm inviting her to hallucinate. So I've got the video over there. I can see it on the, on the screen. I can see as she runs through the movie, I'm seeing my version of all the stuff I'm getting her to do. So that's how I know. I'm not keeping track of it. I just get her to do the next thing because I can see where she is in the process. Does that make sense? So I'd encourage you to imagine the stuff you're, asking, you're inviting the other person to imagine. And if you say, oh, I can't visualize, you don't need to. Just pretend you can. That's all you need to do. Okay? Jill, you had a question. That was my question. If somebody says, I, I can't visualize, yeah, you don't need to visualize. Just pretend to visualize or get a sense of it. Yeah, and sometimes people will say that or they'll say, I can't visualize properly, which is an interesting one because what that means is they've actually got a mental representation of what visualizing properly is. Then they do it the way they do it. They compare the two and say they're different. Uh, yeah, just, just invite them to get a sense of it. I, I think that sometimes people get hung up on kind of, uh, I got, they got me to do the phobia cure, but I, I couldn't visualize properly, so I don't think it worked. They don't need to visualize properly. Just need to get a sense of it. James, definitely had two very specific um, recollections of, of the first time it happened. Mm. If the person can't think of the first time it happened, did it just go for the earliest experience? Yeah, I like to go for the earliest yeah. one because memory tends to be archival and if you change the earliest one, then that can reframe all the subsequent ones. Mm. Any other questions before you go and experiment with this yourselves? All right, so take about 15 minutes each, then we're gonna pause for lunch, then we'll get back together here and discuss what we've been doing. 
Okay? Go to it. What do you think in terms of curing phobia. It doesn't have to be a perfect So welcome back. And you know, we've had some lunch, we're back in the room and just to kind of recap on the things we've been exploring this morning. Uh, well, rather than me recapping them, what are some of the things that, as you think about it now, are already standing out from this morning's experiences? And it's good that you're thinking carefully before deciding which <laughs> of the many <laughs> outstanding discoveries and, you know, insights and so on. But. Uh, Genuinely, what are some of your, you know, valuable insights, learnings, discoveries, refreshments in terms of things that you once knew and had forgotten to remember that you still know? What would some of those be? Your great demonstration of flexibility. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'll just... Mm. <laughs> what else? What are some of the things you remember from this morning? Rich. That I already have inside of me qualities that I'm looking for on the outside somewhere. Absolutely. You know, this idea that people already have all the resources that they need. Certainly in terms of internal resources. If I say, oh, well, I don't have, you know, a huge barrel of oil or something like that. No, but I have the internal resources to bring that into, into my life if I need it for some purpose. <laughs> cook a big vat of chips. Um, yeah, sure, people already have all the resources within them, and that's great news, because it means that I can relax if someone says, you know, I want to have a sense of confidence. I go, oh, they don't seem very confident. Where are we going to find that? I can relax. The very fact that they're talking about it 
means they have it because on some level they can always do what they say they can. So it's there. They, in order to even talk about confidence or excitement or passion or whatever it might be, it means they've already got a representation of that on the inside. And personal experience of having it too, sure, regardless of what their external presentation might be like or something like that. So yeah, it's always there. Which is, I think, comes as great news because it means that you can relax and just go exploring. Sure. What else? The process behind the fast phobia cure was really interesting for me because on the, on the prep course, I was kind of like, I was Stephanie on, well, not literally Stephanie, but I was the kind of subject. So I kind of felt the result, but I didn't quite understand the process. So that was really helpful for me. Thanks. Great. Really helpful. Good. And you guys have all been through the process as well because having both those positions is useful. Part of why I find it very easy to hallucinate the process when I'm guiding someone else through it is because I've been through it myself a few times. Sure. Tony's also got a vendetta because they asked him to make chicken noises. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the soundtrack was chicken noises. So. Uh -huh. I asked her to make gerbil noises, but she said, I don't know what gerbil sounds like. I said, neither do I, but I want to humiliate you as well. <laughs> but did it invoke some laughter? Yeah, definitely. Well, that's the important thing, because I really mean it. When, when I first started studying NLP, I didn't get from the books that it was anything other than very, very serious indeed. And then when I saw people, you know, laughing and having fun and a good time, I was like, but this is supposed to be serious. Surely that's not an appropriate way to approach doing important change. But it turns out that it's actually a very integral part of the process that getting people into a place where they're feeling, because ultimately it's all about opening to greater possibilities, greater flexibility, greater uh, sense of you know, enjoyment and you know, good feelings in the world. Gre you know, for what purpose? Greater quality of life. And, one way of looking at, at it is that joy is about being fully alive. And you know, the people, the people can benefit from being more alive in a variety of ways. You know, I heard someone say, let's bring them back alive, more alive than you took them. And, and there, there's a lot of truth to that, I think. You know, I was demonstrating some coaching yesterday to a group and uh, I, w I was asking some questions of the person I was working with and uh, they, the, I said, you know, so what happens when you do such and such? So, something that they'd said that they really enjoyed doing. And they went, oh, that's, that's just great. It feels fantastic. And they smiled. And the, it was very clear from the outside that they were going to a good place. So I went, oh, cool. And I, I, I said, cool. And I kind of, I, I smiled and I got into that space. And we were doing sort of this demo where they could pause me at, at any place and ask me why I did something. This person, why did you say cool and smile and all that stuff? And it's like, well, because I want to give an authentic response, an authentic response of enjoyment and that sort of thing to something that he's offered that's uh, authentic enjoyment and that sort of thing. Because what do you think that's going to do for him? Just reinforce it. Reinforce it, amplify it, make it stronger, as well as meeting them where they are. Sure. So, uh, yeah. It's, and it's always okay to do that, you know, to kind of, if you feel, if someone says something and you strongly feel, wow, that's really great, let them know. Let them know. Meet them there. Go there first, even. Like when I was talking to Rich about confidence, I wasn't going, so when you feel confident, what's, what's that like? I was demonstrating confident gestures, confident posture, confident 
you know, voice tone and language? Sure. Because we communicate on a variety of different levels, not just on one level. Communicating with everything we do. You communicate with your whole body. Listen with your whole body as well. That's why continuing the process of developing your voice tone is really, really useful. Because when people hear nice sounds, it vibrates all the cells in their body in a nice way. It feels good to hear good sounds. Not just because you're hearing it through the ears, but you're hearing it with your whole body. And you can turn your own body into a resonator, you could say, just by experimenting with your voice tone. Sure. So what about the, your experience of going through the Fast Phobia Cure uh, format? How did you find that in either the guide position or in the explorer position? What are some of your thoughts, reflections, ideas about that? Powerful. In which position or both? Both. Both. And what were some of the things that let you know that it was powerful? I cried. Uh, you okay? Hmm? Good. <laughs> and you cried. What was the nature of that crying, would you say? Ooh. Not in terms of what was it about, but what would you call that? Like, yeah. was it a release or was it a scary experience or was it... Uh, no, it was almost confirmation of feeling, I think. Uh, confirmation of feeling what? Uh, let me, let of, me clarify. Right. Of? Uh, well, just of the, the feelings around what we were working on. Okay. And then what happened? Laughter. Okay, good. <laughs> because, and here's the thing, when you're... When you're doing work that's around something that someone may have experienced as being traumatic or painful in some way, sometimes, you know, sometimes they go into that space for a bit. Sometimes they'll have a release and tears will come. Sometimes they get a bit scared. And that's okay. All I'd suggest is you don't need to keep them hanging around in that for any length of time. So if they're in a place that's clearly un unpleasant, uncomfortable, whatever it might be, it can be useful to get them out of that and into a more resourceful place. But here's the thing. Don't do that because you're scared of seeing them in that space. Because sometimes someone will be in that space and it's like there's a healing process taking place and just having a moment or two to process that and experience it and let go of it can be really powerful. But that's a matter of developing your own intuitions as well. <laughs>